episode of Mad Mag's Curios Emporium, and this is going to be quite an interesting subject for today. So, it all started last night when I was made aware in one of my specific uh, wiki groups that there is a, I don't want to say it's prominent, but there is a group which is for Trump, something like that group and of course I go in and kind of poke around and take a look and holy toxic rhetoric Batman what a, a disgusting basket of deplorables oh yeah I said it my blood pressure went through every roof I was very upset I was just trying to understand how people could call themselves witches and then support somebody whose ideology and actions are totally antithetical to most of what I would say witchcraft tends to stand for. However, I do talk about we don't gatekeep here, but there are areas that have to be recognized, specifically Witchcraft is a tool of the oppressed. It's a tool of the marginalized. Historically, that is a very big, common through line on witchcraft, because witchcraft is sourced in a from folk magic. Witchcraft comes from our intuitive interactions with nature and ways of manifesting our intent. Most often, it are it you see in marginalized groups that need to manifest intent, manifest will, with very few resources. And these are the people who then tap into the esoteric, into the mystic, who make a deal with the devil, so to speak, even though we know that's not strictly what it is. Witchcraft requires a recognition of our partnership with nature. Even if you are an urban witch, it is a requirement that you have a, a worldview that encompasses all of us as citizens of this planet. So patriotism is one thing. Nationalism is another. And nationalism does not have a place in witchcraft when you are willing to accept anything and everything your country does. Um, witchcraft is not exclusionary in the sense that we are going to try to reduce the rights and freedoms of others based on the people they love. So the queer community, based on their skin color. Basically, the people who are embracing, claiming to embrace witchcraft and then support Trump, this is another example of something I think I mentioned once upon a time on a podcast, but if I haven't, now is very clearly the time to talk about it. There is an unsettling surge of white nationalism showing up specifically in a lot of Nordic pagan groups. This is not new. Hitler had his own like occult like secret service community that investigated all manner and means in which to 
further their power, further, like, increase their chances of victory, and there was a strong um, nationalistic and white supremacy, like, energy going on in, in that specific, like, Nazi occult community. So these people are not new to witchcraft. There are always going to be people who misuse power, whatever that power is, whether it is money, whether it is an acquisition of resources in way, by way of food, by way of land, you will always have people who are good stewards of their resources and who see the not just the, the good in being there for others, but the actual need in sharing their resources. And then you will, you will always see those who abuse those resources, who abuse whatever power they can come into. So coming across this group, um, I was upset. I still am upset. There's no was. I still am upset. And what an incredibly toxic group. And the things they were saying, I mean, it was your standard white supremacist, like MAGA nonsense. Um, and they are 100%, and these were not Russian bots. The accounts went too far back and have like the person who runs the page also operates a, a witchcraft store and I may look it up and share it I don't know or DM me and I'll let you know um, what a profoundly toxic group of people who are only interested in bettering themselves and I don't even have a problem with that necessarily right up until you are hurting marginalized people where you are okay taking from others who already have so little, then we are not cool. Like, I'm going to gatekeep the hell out of your ass when you do this. This is something I've been aware of. This is an episode that I have stirred around in my heart wanting to make and always been resistant to because as soon as I make it, there's a level of commitment. And because this is so important to me, it was nicer to keep it as a nice ephemeral idea because as soon as I make it concrete, as soon as I commit to it, I'm going to see all the flaws in the process and all the ways I could have made it better. I think some of you, especially if you are a hobbyist of any sort, a creator of any sort, which we all are, you will know exactly what I mean. But I've been getting a lot of synchronistic push to do this. So here we are. Like that, seeing the page last night, was the nail in the proverbial coffin of any hesitation I had. I had to say something and really make people aware that there are those who abuse the craft, just like there are those who abuse any belief system if it benefits them. Meanwhile, I'm over here as a radical liberal with my Magic for the Resistance book by Michael M. Hughes. If you have not checked it out, I highly recommend this book. I got it quite a while back. It was one of the um, catalysts to me opening up to working with a deity. And I, I love how this author writes, and I love what they have to say. And I feel it very much gets back to the roots of our craft to use what we have to resist evil and I'm I'm not a fan of black and white thinking but putting children in cages 
is evil. Valuing money over human lives, that's evil. Denying people the things they need just to live. We're not even talking about thriving. We're talking about basic survival. We are denying people these things for very arbitrary reasons and primarily so that the rich can continue to get richer and the poor can go to prison. There are a lot of structural issues in this country and because I don't like it, I'm not leaving. I'm going to do what I can to make it better and employing my craft is one of those ways. So what about you? What are you aware of? What are the, the systematic flaws that you see? Are we ideologically aligned here or am I speaking to one or two of these um, Trump supporting witches? If I am, I do want to know how you're able, I mean, there's no way for me to communicate this without my feeling being heard very clearly in my voice. I want to understand. It is very hard for me to understand. So at what point are the views we both espouse a separating based on moral differences? Like I am not okay with children in cages and you have circumstances under which you think it's acceptable. That's something I don't think we can reconcile, but if it's an issue of you've been drastically misinformed, let's, or you think I'm misinformed, somehow, let's talk about it. it. I am trying. I am trying. I don't know that I'm succeeding. I will be sharing the reading I did because I wanted this to be an effective episode. So I threw down, hey, what three cards do I need to, or what three things do I need to work to communicate in this episode? <laughs> and I used the Divine Portal deck, the call calls me out deck, and I got, what do your shadows teach you? And as soon as I saw that, I thought of, and I'm hoping I'm getting the right Greek philosopher, um, Plato's cave, the allegory of Plato's cave, wherein Plato poses to us, what would happen if you had a group of people that spent their entire lives from birth to death chained up in a cave facing the cave wall upon which a shadow play would occur how would they form their concept of reality everything they saw was done because there is a fire situated behind them and people are acting out these different performances or you know concepts but all they ever see is the shadow play on that wall in front of them. And then, so first of all, how does that inform? Like how simplistic is their view of the world? How much can they, how much can they suppose or elaborate on what they see? And then what if one of those individuals was unchained and found their way out of the cave and into the real world. What would that look like? The introduction of color alone, the, the defined features of the landscape. I mean, how mind-blowing would that be for that person? And then to travel back into the cave and try to explain it, the, the common idea in this little thought exercise is that no one would believe this person. Like, 
all of the people still chained up would think this person is mad, absolutely crazy. And that speaks in a big way to people who work in the realm of mysticism. We start not because we are special, not because, I mean, we're all special in our own way and stuff, but I'm saying don't get a big ego over this. Ego is dangerous. Don't get, don't let your ego get carried away, but we are stepping outside of the cave. We are seeing a, a different layer to our reality. And then we have to go back and say, okay, well, how does, how does this translate for the shadow? So that's the first thing I thought of when this card dropped. One of the things it made me think of is what you see in the shadows is only part of the reality. It's only a tip of the iceberg. It's, it's the fuzzy, inconsistent, wavering representation of a more concrete reality. If you spend your whole life only defining your reality based on what you see in the shadows, then you are drastically limiting your ability to interact more fully with the world. You're drastically limiting your ability to more fully engage with who you could be as a person because deepening your experiences helps you to further refine, define who you are. So you essentially begin to fade and become a a person of shadow. You start to lose coherency around the edges. You become more perhaps inconsistent. The shadows teach us that there is something to pay attention to. It's great when the shadows show up. It, it can mean there's something to pay attention to, but we can't assume that the shadow is all there is. When you see something, it's fine to turn around and see if there is more going on. Pay attention to the shadow, but then dig a little deeper. And I think this speaks to an ideology of these more, these oppressing individuals, these people who seek to oppress others, these people who are misusing their privilege. And I have a sweet little kitten who's now decided to come up and seek attention, which is good because this is a very skittish cat. And the fact that she is wanting to come up and and be out in the open with me and get love. Oh, please don't stop my recording though. That would not be ideal. Hello, baby. Oh, you're a good baby. Yeah, come sit with me. This is making my day. Oh, back to a super serious topic. Oh, there are people who only want to look at the shadows because the shadow can be kind of anything you want them to be. That, that lack of definition is, there is an element of freedom there because you can decide a lot about it, but reality can make things a little bit more concrete. So if you need a boogeyman, shadows are really convenient because what was what you are seeing as this big, looming, dangerous boogeyman is actually just a small child trying to escape a war-torn country that our country destabilized. So that is an ideology that we need to be aware of, that these 
many of these people are not basing their opinions on something concrete. By the way, not all opinions have value. In the marketplace of ideas, not all ideas are given the same weight. You are not obligated because that would be like saying we are going to have a buffet and somebody shows up with a platter of literal shit and they insist that their platter of literal shit deserves a place next to the gorgeous salad, the lovingly made three-tier cake, and the fresh baked cookies. No, it does not. It is shit and we have a right to call it out for what it is and say it does not belong on this in, in this banquet. So please keep that in mind. So when people are coming to us with ideas that clearly have not been fully investigated, with ideas that are clearly merely shadows, that they have not taken the time to turn around, because here's the thing, we're not shackled. We do have the ability to turn around. The question is, are we willing to? And if they are not willing to, keep that in mind. Whether that helps you when it comes to being more compassionate towards them, for me, it doesn't. That's where I am right now. I will allow ignorance from a child. I will allow ignorance from somebody who does not actively have the means to do research. But if you are able to get on the internet and say hateful things, then I know you have internet. I know you have access to additional information and you have never felt the need to research. And I will absolutely judge and question your character for that. So that's what this card meant to me. What do your shadows teach you? They teach me a lot of things, but they also teach me this is not the stopping point. It's not the stopping point when developing your ideas and your opinions. It also can't be the stopping point when you're trying to figure out why somebody else believes what they believe. Well, then the next card I get is soften. And I'm like, oh, well, that's like, oh, hey, kitten, that's, those are candles. Candles are fire. Fire will burn your cute face. Oh, my cat is actively trying to stick her face in my candles. Well, all right. I don't understand, but I'm so happy that she is out and about because my sweet little baby has been so scared to come out and kind of be around and she is just exploring and being very interactive and I'm very happy about that. See that's me being softened. My animals make me softened. Children, I can soften when it comes to children. Asking me to soften when I am talking about people who are actively preaching hatred, people who are actively promoting violence against the most vulnerable in our society, I nope, I sure hope I am not being asked to soften towards them, but perhaps I am being asked to soften this conversation. I looked at the card and my first thought was, you better not be asking me to be soft towards people who are awful, which shows you clearly if it is, I'm not doing a great job. But I do think what it actually means is I need to have a softened and compassionate approach when I am talking about it. Because if I am screaming vitriol, then I'm only injuring my listeners. 
as you are listening, there's a great chance that we are fairly aligned and you don't need me stirring you up and making you upset. Sometimes it's, it is a poisonous kind of cathartic. It's like, it's like tasting just a tiny bit of that belladonna. It can kill you, too much can kill you, but just enough can take the edge off. And sometimes we just need to know other people are as angry and hurting as we are. But there is a difference between reaching out and saying, I see the pain in you because I feel that pain as well. And reaching out and saying, let's just hurt and be mad together. One of those is healing. The other one is deepening our mutual wounds. And so if I come to you in a way that only deepens our mutual wounds, I am doing you a disservice and I don't want to hurt you. I don't, I have my own wounds I need to tend to. Tending to my wounds should never mean I need to cut yours deeper. So let's try to be soft together. It is, soft does not mean that we aren't angry. Soft should never mean that we accept the cruelty, accept the violence, accept the othering of marginalized groups, but soft means we take time when we are talking about it to be compassionate to ourselves. Deepening our wounds and our injuries only makes it more difficult for us to have the emotional reserves we need to help those people, to help our brothers and sisters who are in this country for a better opportunity and being targeted because of the color of their skin, whose existence and place of birth makes them a criminal in this country. That is unacceptable, but let's not exhaust ourselves being outraged if that is going to lead to us being incapable of effectively helping. You know, stress, and, and anxiety, it causes a massive release of certain hormones that weaken your immune system, corticosteroids, I believe they're called, please forgive me if I am saying it wrong. And it creates this very toxic chemical in soup in your brain. I mean, hey, my serotonin is already store-bought. I don't need to do something that increases the need for a higher dosage. As I, so if I'm getting tired and letting my immune system collapse, becoming unavailable to my family because I am so angry and just caught up, then when the time comes to go to that protest and show up as a physical person representing the love and compassion I have for the people who have every right to be here, then who am I helping? My rage, sitting at home, getting angry, doesn't do something. Donating my time does something. Sure, put your voice out there. Sign petition. Stand up, but don't engage in meaningless internet arguments. Absolutely engage just enough for people to know that you are somebody that's safe. So that somebody who might be afraid, somebody who 
might be trying to figure out where they can go for help, they know that you're safe. That's fine. Most of the time when you engage in public discourse like this, you're not changing the mind of the person you're arguing with, but you are making somebody else feel a little safer. And that's great. That has purpose. That is what being softening means when they see that you're not treating them as a cause or a vehicle or a justification for your hatred, but you are treating them as a person that needs to be stood up for. Because that is a specific thing that I think soften speaks to. In order to soften yourself, you have to be aware of where have you hardened yourself? Where have you hardened up your heart? Where have you, where are those calluses that maybe you need to gently like wear away so that you can more effectively reach out, more meaningfully engage in compassionate discussion. Because there is such a difference between people who take up a cause because they believe in it, take up a cause because they believe that women should have full and free access to reproductive health, because they believe that the color of your skin should not determine how your interactions with the police are going to go because people, these are people who believe that you should have the same rights regardless of how much money you make and that everybody should have health care. There is a difference between people who are speaking out because that's what they believe and people who take on those causes just because they hate the opposition. Does that make sense? Hating the opposition is not a stance. You don't do something because you despise the other person. You don't vote a certain way because you hate the opponent. That is not effective. Please, please vote blue, though. Please, I mean, vote blue no matter who. That is, we can't play around anymore. Or revolution, full revolution. 100% on board for that. But softening means don't let your words and deeds come from hate. Don't let them come from anger and outrage towards your opposition. Let them come from love and compassion for the people you are standing up against. Two shouting voices, you can tell the one coming from compassion because they refuse to remain silent while there are children in cages in this country and the voice that is screaming because they have latched onto a cause that spits in the eye of the Trump administration. Those are two different voices. They are coming from a different place. So soften. My message needs to be softened. I need to make sure that I'm communicating that when I experience this outrage, when I am, am ready to just say, let's burn it to the ground, it is because I so deeply, deeply care about the fact that we have people who are being horribly mistreated, not because I hate Republicans, not because I, you know, hate a certain group. No, I hate Nazis, though. Like, we got to draw a line somewhere, guys. It's always okay to punch a Nazi. Like, the end. 
but because I want to see people treated right. Okay, and the next card I turned over, remember three cards, how should I communicate in this episode? The next card was the journey is key. I mean, boy, I sure hope the journey is important because it has been a long one. And this makes me think it has been a journey getting to the place where I was ready to pull the trigger on this episode. It has been a journey of refining my views, getting the confidence to, to feel like I have any authority with which to speak. And I realized I do have authority to speak on this. My authority comes directly from the fact that I care about these people. I care about these oppressed groups, these marginalized individuals that are constantly used as bargaining trip chips between two very corrupt political parties. I care about them. They are people. They are not causes. And it has been a journey refining that, coming to some of these realizations. And I'm not done with the journey, and neither are you. This card definitely wasn't just to remind me, it was to remind you. We all are on a journey to become better, to become our best self. And that's not to say there is anything wrong with who you are right now. We are all in the process of becoming the best possible person we can be. I try to imagine people complexly. I really do. I try to remember that I don't know where somebody is on their path. And even as I say that, I want to throw in the qualifier that I will tackle a person that I catch being abusive to another person because no matter where you are on the path, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to toxic and abusive behavior. There's my qualifier. I don't feel like that is something I am called to do as a person. There are plenty of love and light witches out there. I don't have to be one of them and I can still be compassionate and not be a love and light witch. The journey is key. I am refining what working in darkness means. I am refining how I use my trauma, my past to be a better self. I don't use my past as an excuse for my present. My trauma was not my fault, but the outcome of it is my responsibility. My mental health, good and bad days, it's not my fault. Biologically speaking, I did not make the choice, I did not choose my gene sequence to fall the way that it did for me to have depression. But it is my responsibility to manage. It is my responsibility to take care of myself and not assume that mental health issues give me the right to harm others. This has been a journey and I am uniquely positioned to speak with authority on certain aspects of this journey as others encounter it. People who are making this journey coming from, you know, a hard childhood. People who are making this journey who come from being a single parent, from having certain, you know, I, it comes, a lot of it comes back to certain types of trauma I 
can use my experiences to help others in this journey and I can make myself available. I will not be able to do that if I forget how to be soft, how to be gentle. I can't be an effective healer unless I do learn to be gentle sometimes. I mean, in order to heal, sometimes you have to harm, but I have to remember how to be gentle sometimes too. And the journey, I have more lessons to learn and so do you. A big part of this journey for this specific episode, I am speaking to that big awakening I had recently, honestly, with working with a spirit guide. That has been a milestone in my journey. This is the second, third, fourth time I have opened myself up in a very vulnerable way to a practice that is antithetical to my uber logic mind. But upon doing so, my life has been profoundly enriched and it has taught me to check my ego, to be open, to examine myself, to see what makes me better, and to just not give a fuck what other people think. If there are people who hear this and start thinking less of me, okay, I'm sorry that that's what you latched onto. I'm sure I've given you many better reasons (laughs) to, to not like me or lose respect for me, but if If a spirit guide is the one you fixate on, so be it. And my spirit guide has put me, navigated me in such a way to say, okay, but now you need to do this episode. Now, those are the three cards regarding this episode. And if you know me at all, you probably know that I like to say, cool, tell me more and I did and they did and it definitely showed me that my interpretations were pretty good so you remember what we talked about with what shadows teach you I said tell me more how can I best learn about about this how can I best learn to interpret the shadows and I got kinship Um, which instantly put my hackles up because while I like to embrace the the worldview that we are all kith and kin, um, when I'm looking at people who only cast their eyes to the shadows and refuse to look around them, those are not people I want to have kinship with. What does kinship mean? Kinship is deeper than just somebody that you like have as one of your Facebook acquaintances that post some propaganda or post some ideologies that you kind of roll your eyes and don't agree with, but you don't unfriend them because you've known them since high school. And I mean, you get to see pictures of the kids every now and then and that's cute. That's not kinship. Kinship is a recognition that we are all of the same clan. We are all of the same tribe, of the same family. And I don't use those words in an appropriating sense. I use it in the sense that we are all in this together. Um, You don't have to like your kin. That's the good news. 
you have to love them though you don't have to like people and this was something I really latched on to back when I was Catholic was you know what I can love anyone but some people are a lot easier to love if they are maybe in another country and I never have to see or talk to them ever well yes I was a clever child but also that kind of it can defeat the purpose you need to be aware that in order to fully understand somebody you've got to see them as kin you've got to give them some of the same leeway you would give your kin you may need to give your kin more leeway that doesn't mean that you are called to allow abuse into your life that you have to open yourself up to unnecessary like toxicity and wounds but in order to understand why somebody sees the shadows the way that they do you've got to engage in that kinship it's okay then if afterwards you're like nope that super doesn't work for me that's okay too but it's important to be aware otherwise we are no better than other people who do these vast generalizations because there are people who just were not educated they knew one thing their whole life they just didn't have the capacity the the actual fundamental ability for critical thinking not just that it wasn't taught to them it was just something they were never going to grasp and we need to extend more compassion we need to understand why the shadows are so scary for that person because that is not the same as people who are you know prominent members of the community as people who actively financially benefit from the oppression of others that is a different group than the group we may look at and say you literally just don't know better you literally didn't have an opportunity to learn differently and I see why those shadows are scary for you I understand now what you see when you look at those shadows you have never you actually very literally have been chained up in this cave and me telling you what the outside world looks like isn't going to help I need to help you get out of this cave and we can only have the inner tools to do that if we engage in kinship all right so for soften I said okay how what specific give me specifics and I get an invitation to practice compassion oh hello card that is literally identical in in so many ways and I love it Ugh, I love this deck it's like my favorite um, even if it calls me out so when I talked about soften I used the word compassion and then here we are an invitation to practice compassion and I like this this is such an a beautiful message because it says an invitation it doesn't say bitch get compassionate because first of all who's gonna hear that well that me me that's the best message for me somebody needs to make a deck or at least send me a card that says bitch get compassionate you're not wrong um, it's an invitation it says this is something you have the option to do and and more so it would be lovely if you did this there's no sense of being forced. There's no sense of being ground down and told you're not good enough if you are not practicing compassion. 
do you see how this is a very different message than a lot of the um, sort of hypocritical like moral signaling that you get sometimes where it's like unless you are perfectly good you are garbage this is like hey you're working through some stuff would you like to try this with us and again I read this as very much a message I was getting from my spirit guide like my spirit guide talking to me and saying look I'm gonna get get with you on your level here you go my spirit guide seems very fond of, of reminding me of my areas of improvement which was a fancy way in the corporation I used to work for a fancy way of saying like you know what you're not good at but it sounds a lot better doesn't it so I've been invited to practice compassion and I love this too because it's to practice practice compassion it doesn't mean be compassionate because we can't be compassionate all the time as humans that's exhausting and we're not even called to do it because hey there's value in not being compassionate sometimes if nothing else it teaches us what that difference feels like what does it feel like when I'm not compassionate versus when I am what is the outcome when I am not compassionate versus when I am there is a lesson to be learned there so it's to practice compassion, to see what compassion means for you. My way of showing compassion isn't necessarily the same as how you would show compassion. My way of, of showing compassion it goes back to love languages. What does compassion look like for me? For me, it might mean I don't automatically assume you're a complete and utter monster if your beliefs are different than mine. And that might be the extent of how I'm able to extend compassion to different people. And practicing compassion means knowing one plus one is two for this person. But for this person, one actually means 57 plus one, 57, which is a big number, 114. Did I do that right? Oh my God, I think I might have. 57. <gasps> Guys, I think I mathed right. Wow, yay, I totally made those numbers up. Okay, point being, different people perceive compassion differently. So we all have a different capacity in which we practice compassion. And that isn't to say one is better than the other. They're each unique. The way I show compassion is going to be very meaningful to some people and absolutely not come across to others. And that's okay. And then our ability to perceive compassion. For me, somebody being compassionate to me is being patient. Like, just give me time to understand because I just want to understand. 90% of the time, I just want to understand. And if you are impatient with me, then I'm not feeling compassion. Compassion is, for me, you don't even have to accept me, but just be patient with me and help me understand. So the way I practice compassion is often um, I try to reflect that. Like be, me being compassionate is yielding the floor to you to say, okay, what are you trying to communicate? I'm trying to understand you. But what if that's not compassion for someone? So the practice of compassion is complex. It is learning and digging into what does compassion mean for you? What does it look like to you when somebody is showing you compassion? What does it look like when you are practicing compassion? And 
What are other ways to practice compassion? And this is such a worthwhile endeavor because look at what it is. Look at what we're talking about. We're talking about engaging in something that at the end of the day is going to put more good into the world. It's going to help us be our best possible self. It is going to help us engage with others in a way that encourages them to be their best possible self. What a worthwhile endeavor to practice compassion. Only ever practice. You will never master compassion because for every person there is, there's probably five different ways of receiving and giving compassion. And we should be super down for that. That means every person is an adventure in human engagement, which can be very exhausting. So be compassionate to yourself. What does it look like when you are compassionate to you? For me, it looks like what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm chilling, I'm, I'm doing something that's meaningful to me, but I'm also trying to do it without being overly critical and knowing that I'm not perfect, but knowing I have something of value to give. What does being compassionate to yourself look like? In order to soften so that you can have a meaningful message when you're engaging with others, you are invited to practice compassion. And I think it's beautiful. And this is when you see Mad Mag being kind of tenderhearted and kind of feeling good. And like, yeah, even in the course of talking about compassion, I feel a gentling. I feel a softening in myself. Like, I can now think about that group that had me so upset just at the top of the podcast. And I'm like, you know, there is a way to engage with them compassionately. And maybe I'm not the one to do it. Maybe I don't know how to do it. And if that's the case, I'll be compassionate to myself and say, that's fine. It's not for me. I'm not the one that's going to be called to do it. Instead, I will just do what I can to give my compassion to the people who are going to be engaging or the people who are harmed by their rhetoric. See, compassion is so versatile. It's, it can become a one-size-fits-all. You don't practice compassion by using the same equation to solve every problem, but you do learn what math is. Does that make sense? All right, so the journey is key was the third message. And I'm like, yeah, well, ain't that the truth? Like reminding me that this whole process of even getting to this episode has been a journey. um, And some of the big things that have happened along the way and then reminding you that it's a journey. And then remembering that my journey enables me to help others on their journey, especially when it could be people who interpreted their trauma differently than I did and so maybe they experienced some similar trauma and it just had a different fallout for them but if I can say look trauma recognizes trauma I know how you got hurt and I can now understand why you're turning your vitriol against xyz but let's talk about ways we can heal without creating more hurt for others well I got embrace the wounds. Ha ha ha. So I say ha 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 because this card seems to want to come out in literally every reading. Embrace the wounds. 
I am a person who is relatively at peace with my world for this exact reason. I did my time in therapy. I honored my needs. I recognized that I may feel broken sometimes, but I'm not, and that I'll be okay. It doesn't mean that the journey is over. I'm still working through this process because when you injure yourself, sometimes, hello, sometimes when you injure yourself, that injury can manifest in unexpected ways. I mean, just, just think of how physical injuries work. You know, at first it's just the initial like, oh, I sprained, let's do a sprained ankle, which if you've ever had one, they're awful. But, oh, I sprained my ankle. And so right away you're like, okay, well, your ankle's gonna hurt, absolutely. But it's also gonna be hard to walk. And because it's hard to walk, you're gonna have an unnatural gait that is going to cause your other leg to hurt because you are putting far more weight on it. You are forcing it to do double duty. It is going to cause your back to hurt because you are contorting and utilizing muscles in an asymmetric manner. If you use crutches, I had to use crutches for a while. Um, you know that they dig in under your arms. So your arms are gonna hurt, your other leg's gonna hurt, and you're gonna be more tired. You're going to literally just need more rest, but you're also not gonna sleep as well because your ankle is sprained. It hurts when you move during the night, that pain will flare and wake you up. So now you're more tired, you know? And that's gonna affect your appetite. That's going to affect your mood and how you interact with people. Look at all the things that have happened from one physical injury, a sprained ankle. So what happens when the wound is spiritual? Well, the same thing. It spreads, it touches so many parts of our lives, of our identity that we don't always see. We don't always realize the full impact of certain, of certain psychological wounds, spiritual wounds. And we should always, no, always and never, tricky words, we should be vigilant. And it's not, hey, you should be aware for other people. But if, that's, if that is how you need to start it, is it will be best for other people if I am aware. Okay, but love yourself enough to be aware for you. I still have nightmares over certain traumas. I am still working my way through certain traumas and I know that I have not resolved them because I still have nightmares about them. I do still have PTSD. And I may always have PTSD. And if I do, that's okay too. Because I can still love myself. I can still take time to recognize, oh, well, I just came off of a really bad episode because I got triggered. And that is a word Let's please be mindful, respectful, compassionate about that word. If you have legitimately been triggered in your life, you know it's horrible. You suddenly start, if not full on reliving, you still get this horrible barrage of like sensory input and like emotional fallout from very traumatic events in your life. 
it is terrible. Sometimes unexpected triggers come up or as you are working through embracing your wounds, and this is a very important thing to know about a journey. As you are working through those, those spiritual injuries and working through those wounds, sometimes it gets worse for a little while. It gets worse because you're doing the work. And we can go back to the sprained ankle. As you start healing it, you cannot just leave your ankle immobile. You have to exercise it so that it will retain some flexibility because if you do not, it will stiffen up and you will lose a great deal of mobility afterwards. But you can't overexercise it or you slow down the healing process. You have to hit this ideal like mediation between exercising your healing ankle enough to retain flexibility, but not exercising it so much that you delay healing and it is the same thing as we are and and the process is going to make it hurt every time you do it it's going to hurt it will just eventually hurt a little less and a little less and a little less and anybody who's done physical therapy I mean you can almost directly translate your experiences of physical therapy into the work that you do as you heal a lot of a lot of psychological, emotional, spiritual wounds. For me, when I am, something will happen that will trigger me and I can have nightmares. I can have, it can send me into like a spiral, like a sensory spiral. It doesn't happen often when it does. It's, I mean, it's traumatic. It's trauma for a reason. My triggers are few and far between at this point in my life because I put in the work. I have become braver, bolder. I have become someone that I can look at in moments like this and say, I'm kind of, I'm kind of amazing guys. And most of you will have no idea what it took for me to ever be able to say something like that about myself. But it took embracing wounds and there are times when I find one of those wounds and I have to start exercising it and the spikes happen suddenly I have a lot more triggers that are related to that particular trauma that I'm I just have to breathe I have to engage in exposure therapy I also do the um well this is embarrassing I wish I could remember exactly what it's called EFT it's the tapping sequence I have started developing my own sequences of tapping and it creates this cool like sensory not distraction but it it diminishes it pulls you into a very physical moment and it becomes almost an auto hypnotic thing that you do for yourself to in order to be able to then overcome a trigger or even just something that kind of reminds you of the trauma not everything's a trigger some things just ooh that uncomfortably reminded me of a thing and I won't call it a trigger. It's not a trigger unless it does very specific psychological things to me. And feeling sad, that's not a trigger. Feeling or feeling sad is not the result of a trigger. Triggers don't just make you feel a little bummed out. And I stress that because it is so important that we respect the language 
around around these events so that we do not diminish certain things. Feeling bummed out is not the same as being triggered. So I'll engage in like, oh man, I wish I could remember what it's called, but I call it tapping. So I'll engage in the tapping and it is such a healthy coping mechanism compared to chewing up the inside of my cheeks or biting my own, like biting a finger to kind of like push me back into the moment or engaging in like some kind of like destructive behavior, whether it's, I'm not really a reckless person, but like, I'm just going to like almost act manic in order to like escape the thoughts. But now I can say, Ooh, you know, somebody just said something in a very specific way, or I just heard a voice that sounds a lot like the voice of somebody that was very abusive to me. And I can feel myself starting to spiral. I'm going to tap it out. And I couldn't always do that. But as I hit, hit those points of healing, I had to exercise them and it would get worse for a while. And I feel like I'm talking a lot about, I am not a therapist, please keep that in mind. But I am sharing what has worked for me. And as I reduce those wounds, there can still be scars, absolutely. They don't disappear. No injury, like physical or otherwise, ever completely disappears from you. It becomes a roadmap of your experiences. And you reach a point where you can say, that's something I survived. That is something I overcame. That is something that made me stronger. And I hate that cliche so many, so often it is used to diminish people's traumatic experiences that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I feel like there are only specific people who should ever be allowed to say that anymore just because it gets, again, it gets abused. But I have become stronger. It is a lot harder to try to take advantage of me or be abusive towards me because I have overcome so many experiences and I am stronger because I'm not intimidated in the same way that most abusive people try to intimidate their victims. And I can call out, I can recognize abusive people. I can warn potential victims. I have become much stronger and very capable of opposing people like that. And when I look at a lot of the pro-Trump crowd, I do see abusers. It is a crowd that definitely attracts abusive people. It attracts a lot of people who wind up being very engaged in domestic violence, for example, or people who actively go out and kill others. And that isn't to say just because you support Trump, you're that kind of person, or that only people who support Trump do that. No, I'm not saying that, but I am saying there is a through line that I am uniquely situated to recognize. Like abusers ha are no longer able to obfuscate successfully from, from my very critical eye. And I don't see myself as a victim anymore. I see myself as a survivor but that's my language for it. I will respect your language for it. If you are like, hey, I'm still a victim because I am still working through it, honor that. I respect it, I understand. If you're in a place where you're ready to say, no, I'm a survivor now, that's great too. Honor where you are in your journey. I feel like 
while this isn't intimately tied into the opening, this is an important conversation that needed to happen. And I feel like I haven't talked explicitly about witchcraft a lot, but I am talking about things I see in the community, things I see for better or worse in the community. The witchcraft community, it draws a lot of marginalized people, which is another reason I'm so upset when I find it, you know, those isolated pockets of people who engage in oppression. It draws marginalized people and most marginalized people have been victims of abuse. People with mental health issues are far more likely to be victims of violence and of abuse. Um, women tend to be victims of violence and abuse. And that isn't to say that they are incapable of engaging in abusive behavior. They can also be abusers. Now, I'm not saying they can't. People of color, indigenous people, we have, you know, members of the queer community. They are all drawn to the craft because it is empowering. And not all of them. I'm saying we tend to be a large community of marginalized people because marginalized people are drawn to what can give them power. What power hasn't been completely wrested from them because fortunately you can never take away somebody's magic. You can take away their resources, a lot of them. You can't take away magic from them. This is one of the few safe havens for a lot of marginalized people. And marginalized people are often survivors. They are often people who have experienced a, a wide range of abuse and are looking to embrace those wounds, to heal from those wounds. So the likelihood that I am speaking to people who have also experienced abuse is very high. And I hope that this is informative and helpful as I've gone on a very long tangent about embracing wounds. It's just what I'm feeling called to say. And it's a card that keeps showing up for a reason because it is something I am still working on also. And I am happy to work on it with you. Like we are working on it together. We all are. We are all in a place where we are trying to overcome so many things. If you're in the U.S. here with me, I mean, we are trying to survive in a society whose rules are no longer applicable to us in the sense that, hey, these are the things you do to be successful. Well, all those things were taken away from us. All of the means in which we can, quote, quote, advance have been taken away. We were given a very outdated roadmap. We were given a roadmap. We lowered it and we saw that it's all just burnt out dystopian hellscape. Like all the pathways have just been completely blotted out. And so we are forging our own path, much to the dismay of a lot of people who, who want to see things stay as they are, even though things are very much not as they are. You have education that is unaffordable you have housing that's unaffordable, medicine that's unaffordable. I mean, people are just trying to survive. And when you are in survival mode, it can make you, you know, back to that dystopian analogy, it can make you hardened. You know, you don't have time to properly tend to any of your wounds because every moment is, is fight, flight, or freeze. It is hard to 
recognize any kinship with other people if all they are are competition for resources and who has time to be compassionate who can risk compassion and being soft if we are all fighting and clawing to survive I think there's a way out I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel it doesn't mean that we suddenly forgive people the things that they do to us if your definition of forgiveness is allowing them to continue to harm you then no we don't do that but we do cut the binds and that's an actual thing you can you can do um tie cutting to to sever binds between you and another person especially if they're abusive but we can also seek to understand even if the understanding only better equips us to oppose only if maybe understanding somebody only better enables us to stand up against them that's okay too but there is a light at the end of the tunnel one way or another there is we won't life won't stay like this forever this divisiveness we're seeing humans are divisive there will always be division it will be a different kind of division and then we will fight that but we have to treat each one like a different battle and it is a battle it's a war absolutely but there are things we can do to be successful because I don't think these cards are just for me I don't think this is just telling me what I need to do for myself I think there is a broader communication there's nothing about what I'm seeing here that can't be beneficial to everyone and I feel like that's really important to recognize there are so many similarities regardless of your specific path and in finding those similarities even if our paths only run parallel and we're within shouting distance I'll give you advice you give me advice let's try to help each other with what was behind with what's ahead as best we can and then wish each other well as our paths diverge again and if in the course of our exchange we find out that th we are diametrically opposed to some things maybe it's okay to stop on the path and see if we can reconcile some ideas not everyone will want to there are some people who are wholly and entirely invested only in what is what they want not even what's better for them but just what they want and if they are committed to that set your boundaries do some protection against them like definitely make sure that you perhaps take time to cast protection oh my glass candle holder just baby shattered didn't super shatter these candles are like super dedicated that's fine um i was gonna say just protect yourself against them and maybe cast protection for all of those who cross their path i think that that is a worthwhile thing to do and then keep going there are absolutely times to hex um hexing other witches makes me a little iffy but you can definitely i don't want to say cut them off at the source but you can definitely mitigate mitigate 
the toxicity of their influence or how much harm they can do to others. And you should, that's a great thing to do. Um, now I'm just fascinated with how this candle is burning. I'm gonna take a picture and I do feel like, I don't know, this, I feel like this was almost a, a wrap it up signal. Like the candles have completely just burned away. Very cool. All right, guys, I didn't even, ooh, I didn't even scratch the surface of, of some of the things I intended to talk about. Like I pulled out my Magic for the Resistance book with the intention of going over some of it, but apparently this was a more important foundational thing to touch upon. And I guess it makes sense because if we dove right into, you know, how to resist, without this foundation of compassion, without this foundation of, you know, understanding what is scaring them, develop that kinship, practice compassion and soften and embracing your wounds through the course of your journey. If we hadn't done that first, then it could have just been all betrayal, all hatred, all coming from a place of, I am opposing this, not I am standing for this. I think that I will definitely do another episode. I put too much qualifiers. I will definitely be doing another episode talking about specifically how we can use our magic in the course of developing our, our you know, activism and resisting oppression. But for now, I really hope that you think about what we've talked about. I need to, obviously. The cards fell the way they fell for a reason. So this is what I will be engaging in. And I wish you all the luck as you engage in your own journey before we take the next step for putting up that resistance, engaging in that activism. And in the meantime, guys, find your balance, be your best self, and take no shit.